special episodes from the Netherlands. This is Tony's Rhapsody. I'm your host, Tony Jung. Hi guys, welcome back to Tony's Rhapsody. This is TR Life. So um, today I, I will be talking a little bit about my exchange life here at University of Amsterdam from a very, um, I would say, specific perspectives. Uh, regarding what I'm studying here and how do I find the teaching and you know the entire education environment different from that of Hong Kong, and so I'm going to start the podcast by first asking perhaps you a question. So you ever heard of the difference between a research university versus an applied science, or perhaps uh, what type of students would different university actually cultivate? We know that you know. Corporates they have different corporate cultures, similar for universities, right? Different university have different characteristics, different faculty, different emphasis and focus, as you can see from those rankings. And what exactly are the different type of students that they cultivate, or more specifically, which one is more suitable for you? So today I'm I'm going to try to answer this question by offering you some of my personal、uh, observation as well as thoughts, so that you can take it. Um, and also thinking about these questions, and to see if these all make sense. Right. So、um, currently, this is a second block for me in my semester. So the education here, the semester here, is designed slightly differently than that of Hong Kong. So in Hong Kong, typically you just have one semester from the very start to the very end, lasts for around twelve to thirteen weeks. And throughout those thirteen weeks, you're going to have Um, simply, you know, going to classes. You might have projects. You, you might have to do presentations, whatnot. Different classes have different requirements. But toward the end of the semesters, you probably have a study break. Then you have your final exams. But here at UVA,、uh, University of Amsterdam, the semester is designed slightly differently. So,、um, for one semester, is actually divided into three blocks, three individual blocks, consists of、um, a th- three different type of periods. So for the first block, it consists of eight weeks. Same for the second block, and for the third block, it consists of four weeks. So it makes it in total of five months time for one semester. And currently, I'm、um, in a second block,、I'm、just starting. And so I guess this is probably going to be a good time for me to review slightly a little bit on my previous block and to see, you know, what are some of my observations. And so,、um, currently, I'm actually a third-year student. So it actually really hits me,、uh, based on my past two and a half years of、uh, education experience at Hong Kong, and right here, just a couple months. I already feel quite a lot of difference. And I guess there are a couple of things that you can probably take away with it. And it was actually quite interesting because when I was thinking about when when I was planning out this podcast, I started thinking through. Some of、um, some of my question even before I went to、uh, the school,、um, I still remember when I first was typing through those cover letters、um, in applying for these exchange schools. One of the question was one of the question I have to answer was why are you、um, interested in joining this exchange program? And I remember one of the answer or, or you know I probably have the same answer for、uh, I. For all the school that I applied, was that I actually want to experience how a research schools will approach teaching differently. 
I just thought about that just now because that was actually the reason that I put um, there. But back then when I was typing this, I was simply, you know, copying the information that I get from Wikipedia that UVA or, you know, any of the European school mostly on the continent is more research-based, whereas sometimes in Asia you get more of applied sciences um, in different type of contexts, either business, law, uh, medicines, whatnot. And so it's, it's really interesting to think back that I once had this thought, and today I sort of have experimented and actually reached a certain conclusion. So let's first start by breaking down into two streams, right? Uh, just now I said that there are two major streams. One is more like a research base. Another one is more like an applied sciences uh, under different contexts. So here, let's start with research. So what exactly are, uh, for example, the teaching methods um, or what you can sort of expect from your class? So typically, what we have here is we have uh, what we call contact hours. So in those contact hours, it's usually in two kind of forms. One is just normal lectures. Uh, you can pretty much imagine it, um, you know, professor lecturing, things like that, going through slides, and you probably have a little bit of discussion. And then on top of that, you also have uh, tutorial seminars where you have even more um, direct uh, contact with the professors or with the tutors as the tutorial size, uh, the class size will usually be smaller and you get more opportunities to actually be engaged. And so that's how, you know, a course is usually designed, more like a tutorial as well as a lecture. Um, so that's not, you know, really different from, for example, the applied science. But then what I found really differently was they reference on top of textbook quite a lot of literature or you know, papers, be it, you know, the paper that has been posted or um, still um, during the working stage, the working papers, for you to read through, understand their arguments and try to discuss, to poke holes into this paper. And that's what I found quite interesting in the research base. So it's a lot about theories. It's a lot about going through how people go about a theory and how do you find... Um, the arguments, how do you find evidence for the arguments, how do you prove and back up all the things. And I guess what is good about this training is that you get a really solid proof through finding that particular evidence, be it uh, an empirical evidence uh, of quantitative reasoning or it's about finding you know, qualitative sources to back up your original hypothesis. And what I find really interesting about this uh, process is that you will start avoiding certain mistakes, certain judgment mistakes that you would probably make if you had not gone through this process. So what are some of these mistakes? First of all is, of course, uh, correlation and causality. So sometimes when we, let's say, when we see a certain phenomenon, we might, you know, very intuitively try to uh, patch the two information together and say, since they are correlated, uh, A probably caused B. So that's probably a very common mistake that a lot of people go through. But if you sort of have the really solid training from you know, a research university, you completely avoid this because this would just not be sound to sort of prove your arguments. You need to find the actual cause to um, a certain phenomenon to actually you know, put it down in the paper and say A actually proves B. So that's the first thing. And second thing was, um, was called reverse causality. What this means is sometimes 
we might think A actually caused B, whereas if you look into the dynamics of this you know, whole entity of A and B, sometimes B actually causes A to happen as well. And so you, you see this kind of dynamics happening, and then sometimes people might be lazy or just simply take one side and say, okay, A to B is the only directions, whereas you know, totally ignoring the, the fact that B to A also exists. So again, through this really solid um, process of learning in a research university, you will also try to avoid this type of thinking as well. And so an example that I can provide to you was in one of my development economic course. And I remember one of the module was talking about poverty. So we try to ex examine different factors contribute to poverty. So we, we look at uh, disease, we look at uh, nutrition, um, the ge geographics of different nations and perhaps, you know, certain uh, external factors like resource curse. And so one of the, one of the arguments we're trying to make is, uh, is that malnutrition will actually contribute to a lower income growth and vice versa, right? With lower income growth, you sort of have uh, less power, let's say, to purchase food and thus, you know, lead back to malnutrition. And so this is kind of like a vicious cycle over here. So let's say when a person tells you about this fact, you can easily take it in as, you know, a really good piece of advice. It's like, wow, okay, this totally makes sense, right? But then what a research university really wanted to do is to find what exactly is the relationship between these two um, interacting uh, bodies and well, what exactly is the strength of causality. So... Um, Throughout the course, we try to walk through, okay, from nu bad nutrition to low-income growth, what exactly is the strength? Is there, is there uh, essential proof that this link actually happened? And the other way around as well, right? So from um, a lower-income prospect to malnutrition, does this actually happen? And so one of the interesting things, uh, just to go a little bit deeper under this context, is that... Uh, in the original hypothesis, we think that with higher income, the nutritions will probably go higher as well. Since you have more money at hand, you probably want to, you know, like buy more food for yourself and then feel better. But then, of course, we know that it, it will peak, you know, soon because, you know, you, you kind of have the maximum amount of food that you can eat. But later on, some more research sort of shows that when your income grows, um, other factors also kicks in. For example, you, you might want to have you know, food of higher quality instead of more quantity, right? You might want to start dining at a better restaurant instead of just you know, having more fries in McDonald's, things like that. So the original uh, hypothesis of this vicious cycles that make total sense suddenly become um, really doubtful and need you know, even more, even stronger evidence to back it up. So here's just one takeaway that I had from the research universities that it really forced you to think about um, the causality in between things, uh, in, uh, specifically regarding the items you're trying to prove. And they forced you to try to find the exact evidence instead of just you know, mere correlations or uh, like, a, like a good tale to tell people. And just try to sum, sum up and try to conclude right here. I, I believe that for research um, university, it definitely trains students in under this type of context. And uh, they also try to train students to discover new knowledge, right? especially if you go to master 
and you're trying to specialize in a certain field and actually conduct even more research about it. But I think at the same times, um, even though you know each of the research has really solid process, sometimes you can be really biased, and that has to come with um, the approach itself. So a lot of these research, uh, as you know, is empirical, meaning that you have probably have to find your own evidence, either from the st- uh, statistics that is available, or you have to gather those uh, statistics yourself. Now, of course, there are a lot of ways to try to make sure the data sets is uh, unbiased and all that. But since all of these things are sort of conducted by humans, certain bias would definitely occur due to different perspectives and also depend on what are the objective of research. Right? Sometimes the research is to support certain political agenda by the government, then of course, right, you probably want to make the numbers more beautiful so that the governments can you know, start with the, their next propaganda and pushing forward you know, whatever they want to push forward. So I would say research university definitely trains you well in um, uh, proving causality and trying to find you know, what is the right evidence, but sometimes might be biased. So we have to really apply our critical thinking right here. So that's, that's my observation regarding research. Now let's move on to the applied science part which is, you know, an environment that I was exposed to uh, most of the time throughout my college studies. So back in UST, uh, HKUST uh, in, in, in Hong Kong, uh, I would say most of the class, as far as I'm concerned, that I um, sort of studies is more uh, like applied science branch. So um, let me just try to give you an example. Let's say if we're talking about management and it was a business class, of course, instead of really going through the theories of different management styles and uh, what are some of the techniques that managers would use, corporates would use to foster different kind of cultures, what we want to do is we put it into a, uh, a form of case study. And it's not just about you know reading through the information and going through the fact check, but more so it's about developing the solutions if we were put in the shoe of the manager or the CEO themselves. So it's, it was, um, I would say, it was really real life, lifelike, and you can really um, get the thrill out of the process because, you know, have, being able to be that CEO and going through the, the decision-making process is really thrilling. And at the same time, the level of details that you can sort of handle will really... Um, will really make the entire journey really pleasant as well. For example, it's not just about thinking about uh, what type of management styles to impose, but you probably have to personalize different department to different person that you want to talk to. And you want to personalize and customize the type of um, words or even text that you want to talk to the person to. So it's really uh, to that level of details. But again, um, as I say, some of the um, advantage that research university have definitely uh, does not occur here in apply. So in apply, definitely, we, we focus on getting the problems done or getting the problems addressed, but probably not so much as to, you know, what exactly is the truth, right? Why does certain uh, phenomenon happen and what exactly caused it to happen? Right? We probably are still solving some kind of superficial problem, even though throughout the problem-solving process, we already go through certain root cause analysis and trying to deep dive into different whys. But still, certain biases might still 
come across if we didn't try to sort out right what exactly is the cause. That's the disadvantage of applied science. But on the flip side, what I do believe is the really great advantage of applied sciences is that it's fully integrated. So I'm going to put it into the context of uh, business studies, right? Let's say you're, again, you're in a management course. You're trying to address a certain problem. Let's say, you know, a, a profit declining problem of a company. There is not a single case where you can just apply a single discipline and address the problem. It's always integrated. You have to have the concepts of you know, P&L from finance and accounting. At the same time, you also need more of a soft skills in management styles and all that. And more so, you also have to integrate marketing operations, data analytics toward the implementation stage if you were to propose a well-supported and comprehensive proposals to you know the C-suite people. So being integrated and being so practical is definitely, um, I would say, the advantage of a of applied science. So just now we've sort of walked through um, the research side as well as the applied side. What are the potential advantages and what are some of the disadvantages? And of course, these are only based on my very narrow observations, but I guess these are some of the takeaways that I find really interesting. So I would say just try to conclude um, and to answer one of uh, some of the questions that we posted up front as to um, what type of students would they cultivate, which one's probably more suitable for you if you're looking for you know a college education or even post-college education, right? I would say first of all, you have to look um, at yourself. I guess Looking at yourself at a micro level in revealing your personality uh, is really important. I'm not a kind of person who really enjoy, you know, reading a lot of papers, you know, doing a lot of research, thinking about, you know, costs from A to B. It's just not practical enough for me. Of course, it's really interesting in understanding uh, what's the dynamics, uh, what's the details uh, among certain you know, incidents and what are the root cause that you can, you know, brag to people about. But definitely what excites me more is um, that I actually get getting involved in solving a problem. And that brings to the second element, which is more of a macro level. So in a macro level, if today we're looking at a business context, definitely uh, we're talking about, you know, going to a real business and doing certain jobs. And definitely you have to be trained practically enough in order to take on the job. And so I would say, judging from these two perspectives, for me, myself, I'm probably more of an applied person, but definitely I wouldn't say that there is, you know, uh, like one's superior to, to another. Okay, so that's kind of like uh, the final takeaway and conclusion I get. So um, I guess that's it. Uh, a little bit on my observations and um, a slight conclusion that I can reach from uh, this thought process. And I hope you find it interesting as well. And if you guys have any comments, uh, any experience that you have before um, that correspond to what I'm talking about today, you can leave it in the comments um, and stay tuned. We'll probably have more of these topics in the future. See you next time in Tony's Rhapsody. So, that's the episode. If you like it, please tune in for more. I'm Tony Zhang. See you next time at Tony's Rhapsody. Thanks for listening. Thank you.